0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, George Tarrant, alongside the man, the myth, the master of the trade, respecting himself, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine, fine <gasps> dandy. Oh, we've got terrible delay on your video right there.
1: Oh, I will turn that off. I didn't like that.
0: <laughs> the computer cannot kind of take it, Captain. Mm. Uh, but yes, That's we good. are the Archer Producers and we bring you the chain movie of the week every week where we link one movie to another to another into um, swapping from myself choosing to Travis to myself to Travis. And this week, Travis chose Rocky Horror Picture Show. Next week, it'll be my picture of choice. But we've got a bit of a show for you. We have got The Return. Of the trek, perspective, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. And am I right in thinking it's going to be a double bill, or is it a triple bill at this point?
1: It is only a double bill. I did try to get the idea of a triple bill off the ground. Coolly um, <laughs> <and it was laughs> shot down. <laughs> That's that was not a popular choice. Not, not <laughs> a popular choice. I think it's only a trek that uh, Michelle can handle in a certain period of time, <laughs> and um, she's had her fill. So we were talking uh, Insurrection and Nemesis today.
0: Lovely, lovely. Um, obviously, Nemesis probably being famous for two things. One being the movie that killed Star Trek movie for a while and uh, having a young Tom Hardy in it. And almost killed a young Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah, by the sounds of it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we've got um, a couple of a couple of bits. Like Travis has watched uh, episode two of The Rings of Power, and I've watched episode three. I decided because I was bored on my lunch, I watched uh, the mid-season episode of She Hulk. Travis got around to watching one of the biggest um, blockbuster movies of recent memory, Top Gun: Maverick, um, and I finally checked out because it's available on Disney Plus. Thor: Love and Thunder. As well as the new animated show on Netflix, Cyberpunk Edgerunners. First few episodes of that.
1: Have you played the game,
0: Bert? I did for a a few hours. And it was rather boring.
1: Powerfully average, wasn't it? Yeah. Really quite dull.
0: I still do not comprehend why they had such a comprehensive character creator. And then have it first person. So you, you don't see it.
1: yourself. Yeah, It's um, such
0: a weird choice.
1: It's it's so weird to see a game like that. I think maybe it's improved now. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's a bit like No Man's Sky, right? No Man's Sky, if you're a gamer that launched with a huge hype and then yeah. massively disappointing when it actually came out. Um, but they've continued to work on it the subsequent years. And now it's actually a really fucking good game. Yeah, um, yeah but I guess the problem is if you fuck up on launch so badly you, you destroy your brand the way that um um cyberpunk did that people eat Sony take you off their store. Yeah um you've got a long, long journey back. Uh, so yeah. I'd be interested to hear how the cartoon or TV show stacks up against the video game. Yeah. Should we should we roll straight on into the uh chain movie of this week?
0: Let's let's get on with the chain movie of the week. One Rocky Horror Picture Show. One of the few movies in my life that has caused me a variation of PTSD. (laughs)
1: Um, So you've seen this quite a bit. Uh, Uh This was a regular in acting school for you. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the first time I've Mm -hmm. ever seen it. Um, I am notoriously averse to musicals, and Mm -hmm. this most certainly is a musical, um guess. so this is not something that ever called out to me saying like, oh you absolutely have to see this like i mean the yeah. amount of people who were shocked that i would never seen it shocked, have we never seen it it's like um it's almost as bad as the people who were shocked i would never seen greece until you know a couple of years ago um and, and
0: then it took and, a broken foot
1: <laughs> it wasn't a broken foot it was it took a fucking uh a horrible reboot of the Ghostbusters, and, That's and, 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 the, and the complicit media to say it was good <laughs> when it uh, most certainly was not. Um, but uh, and and it took Rotten Tomatoes uh, mm-hmm. to uh, re uh, jig what they consider fresh. Yeah. Um, um, so before it got a fresh rating, um, it's, that still has a seventy three. By the way, which is outrageous. Um <laughs> anyway, so um, I had never seen it before. obviously it, its reputation proceeds as one of the cultiest cult movies I've ever cultured. Mm-hmm. Um, you know famously a stage, famously lives on in stage shows and midnight screenings around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, for those like me who have not seen it, a newly engaged couple have a breakdown in an isolated area, and must seek shelter at the bizarre residence of Dr. Frank and Furter. So inadvertently, mm-hmm. this is the third film of four set in a big spooky manner on a rainy night. Yeah. In a row. Like the second in a row, third of the last, three of the last four weeks have been set in giant, spooky manners. This mm-hmm. is a different type of film in a different type of spooky manner. But I found myself going, I, I didn't think through that very well. Um, <laughs> so cast-wise, we have, of course, the great Tim Curry as mm-hmm. frank and and he's... Most iconic role, um, the Susan Sarandon in uh, a very early role for her. I imagine this Janet Vies, the heroine, um, yeah. and that's Meatloaf. Is he yes. have a name in here you probably heard of? Yeah, um, uh,
0: Richard O'Brien, um, f- especially for anyone from the UK, because he was instrumental in of my growing up. There was a, a show called, um, The
1: Crystal Maze, and he was the host of that. Oh, Richard A. Wadey he brought that back.
0: Yeah, apparently.
1: Uh, I, see, I was watching it on SBS, and I do not have that context of it. Apparently, I thought it was mm. some new show. I'm like, this is terrible. Um, oh, there's reasons why. <laughs> uh, and I feel like Barry Boswick might be a name some people know, but I don't know why, because he's not really done anything of particular note. His, uh,
0: his profile picture on IMDb does make him look a bit like, um, oh, what's his name? Oh. Uh, uh, James Brolin.
1: Little like a little bit. Yeah, maybe, a, maybe that's it.
0: Knock off James Brolin. <laughs>
1: but I think most of his cast are most famous for doing this film. I mean, apart from probably Meatloaf and Susan Sarandon, who had, whose fame sort of evolved beyond this. Even Tim Curry, I don't think, ever outlived this role. Yeah. And this was his film debut. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's, of course, famous for its music. You Never know, Time Warp, um, mm-hmm. Sweet Transvestite um and it's also famous i think for probably being the first cult film that became so incredibly popular it's not the first cult film by any stretch of imagination but it kind of popularized the idea of cult films and people dressing up and um Mm -hmm. doing what they call shadow casts you know acting Mm -hmm. out the scenes in the cinema in front yeah while the film's on um I know that became very popular with the blues brothers as well, and many other films subsequently, even Room and stuff. Yeah. Um, but this film kind of, I think, was the originator of a lot of that. Yeah. Um, all that said, I didn't hate this. I didn't hate this. I should admit, I didn't hate this as much as I thought I would. Um, <laughs> that said, it's kind of kind of nuts. Yeah, it's pretty wacky. Yep. Um, I kind of sort of followed the inverted commas plot for the first half an hour or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it completely lost me. Yep. Uh, by the end, I was like, I've got no fucking, which you probably tell, like, it, I kind of got it at the end again. I kind of figured a whole bunch of wacky shit happens, and then at the end, it turns out, sorry, well, spoilers for a you know almost 50-year-old film. Um, they're, they're aliens. Frank and is an alien. And uh, Riff, Raff, is that the guy's name? Riff, right? and, yeah. and Magenta either are or turn into uh, other aliens uh, mm-hmm. who uh, t- go to try to take him home, back to the planet um, Trans- uh, Transylvania. Transylvania um in a transvestite system or something right uh, yeah uh, transsexual, or, uh, system. Uh, transsexual
0: in the tra- uh, Transylvania system.
1: system and um he doesn't want to go home so they kill him yeah um so that was random so i kind of okay, okay, I get that like he's an alien and they want to take him home and now he's dead it was just really the hour or so in the middle that yep. stopped making sense it's,
0: um i, it, I think cool. i have um I've had musicals explained to me in the best possible way, care of uh, Neil Gaiman's masterclass that I've been listening to. And he was talking about genre and he said, yeah, one of the reasons for, um, one of the things about going to a musical is the plot doesn't really matter. It's just a device to get you from song to song. So that the songs kind of make sense the way that they're presented to you. And that's, very much the rule here. The plot is there, but it's just to get from one dance and song routine to the next. And even the musicals themselves, it's all sort of like, okay, I don't really know what they're about.
1: <laughs> and you're probably right. It is just to get you through to keep you entertained to the next song. Mm. Is what differentiates it from a recorded concert. Mm. Um, but I guess the strength of a musical, for me at least, is, is largely based on how, how that, those, those joiners hang together. So mm-hmm. how, how strongly connected the songs are. If it's funny for a comedy or entertaining or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, those joins are strong. That's where I think maybe a, a, a musical has a better chance of succeeding for me. Yeah. So okay. I think of film musicals I haven't hated quite so much. They are usually the ones. Oh, the producers, I, I quite liked. Well, I like the original film probably best. Mm. And I saw a stage show, and there have been Matthew Broderick, Nathan Lane films, all right. Mm. Um, but, I mean, those those bones are so, still mm. very strong from the original Mel Brooks film. Yeah. And it's just so funny. Yeah. Then uh, I mean, it kind of gets by. Um, so. Whereas something like Grease, where the story is pathetic, um, and the songs are pathetic. Uh, <laughs> Makes for a pathetic movie. Um, <laughs> so that that didn't hang together. And this one hung together despite the fact that those bones are very brittle in between <laughs> the songs because some of the songs, at least, are very catchy. So "Time Warp" is you know a timeless classic. I think uh, um, you don't like it.
0: I, I, I just had to hear it so often, and every everyone. Just always wanted to do the time walk dance, and I'm like, mm, no, I don't dance. I don't enjoy dancing. I happily will burn myself rather than dance. Huh. So,
1: I, so, I, so, I can see that, and I, I appreciate that. I'm
0: yeah. So kind of being in a scenario where it's like, oh, let's just do this again. It's like, oh, I'm in hell.
1: <laughs> well, I am. Um... Maybe it's a UK thing or an American thing. Okay, it's a common thing for shit dances like that, but pop out at weddings mm, yeah. um, and parties and stuff. I don't recall anyone that I can remember doing the time warp dance at a wedding or a party or anything I've been to. Normally in Australia, it's the fucking bird dance or chicken dance or whatever it is. Oh God. That's and, a classic. And, and the nut bush. The what? And the nut bush.
0: What the hell is the nut bush? That sounds uh, think, like something like a category on Pornhub.
1: Well, it could be. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's a I think it's a Tina Turner song. Um so Who? But, uh, Tina Turner.
0: Oh Tina Turner. I thought you said something Jonas. I was like what? <laughs> one of the Jonah brothers.
1: Um bear with me here. We're gonna do we're gonna show you some nutbush dancing. This is this is YouTube. Oh.
0: Okay. I already hate it. Yep,
1: I'm already hating it. Here we go. I don't know why it's called the koala in that bush.
0: Um. Oh, oh, oh dear! It's line dancing, basically. Oh. Just oh no, just, yeah, that's just I've never seen that before, and I, I,
1: I... yeah, I'm turning that like, off now. The East German judge has <laughs> given it a five. <laughs> um, anyway, so I think our comedy um, might have been terrible. the highlight of it. So yeah. <laughs> just nope that 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 that's that a notion, is George that
0: that that is representation of hell to me
1: yeah well yeah. I can understand that because that's usually the one where people going come on dance it's fun and you're like is it is it
0: maybe for you not for me
1: I Say no. no. Uh, but anyway let's get back to Rocky Horror thank you very much he yeah. <laughs> got distracted um i in sharing that have lost my video feed so um mm-hmm. uh, uh it's perhaps it didn't happen last week that's for sure well i uh, computer um
0: <laughs> no thanks. we're a professional, a professional group I'll be <clears right throat> back. no worries so yeah um let's just get a little for for the uninitiated if there are any still out there as to what um what legacy the rocky horror picture show has this has been in many ways kind of lampooned and oh he's back already good back already.
1: so is this is what happens when i share a tab so I need a new computer, I think. So, if anyone's interested in being sponsoring the show, giving me a new computer, uh, I'm up for that.
0: Hi-fi, reading cinema, you know, we, we, could, we could be sponsored by both of them.
1: Alienware? Alienware, yep. Not Spyware, though. <laughs> so, um, what we're we saying, it, um, I don't remember we were talking about the dead, the Rocky the mm. songs. I was saying, I think mm. the songs are yeah. catchy, but you think they are a bit overplayed and you've been kind of subjected to them too much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But either, uh, even then
1: it's sort of like
0: they are still indisputably iconic. And there is in spite of the oversaturation that I have of them, which is the same as what I get for most music thanks to working in retail. Um it you still kind of just go like essentially any time Tim Curry is there singing and dancing and just being Frank and is a lot.
1: Fuck yeah, damn good. He was good, wasn't he? Um, yeah. He owns the screen every time he's on there. Uh-huh. Um, and it's bizarrely entertaining for a yeah. portion of a film. Yeah, Like there's the Transylvanians, I think it's what they call called, the, the weird people with the glasses who look like they're from an 80s film clip. Um, yeah. Uh, and I don't really know where they come from or what they're doing, but they're there and they are... Mm-hmm. weird looking entertaining. and entertaining and then there's a scene with meatloaf which is over in about three minutes where he's a delivery boy or something and gets murdered with a pickaxe and you're like
0: okay whoa it's, oh God, you missed this important part he was the first um man that was created by frankenfurter and, and he only had half of a brain to create um the meatloaf and he ended up being this rebellious rambunctious neer do well that was put into the vaults, and then he created the uh kind of Atlas looking Adonis kind Rocky or of kind of of Rocky.
1: Rocky Horror, um, with the up- in the gold, man in the gold underpants, yeah. Um, who this <laughs> is the lo- first, the last film he ever did. He Peter never Hingley. did another uh, I think, um, oh, sorry, tell a uh, lie. He did do a, an uncredited role. Uh, and something else uh, a few years later
0: okay. um,
1: <laughs> what I uh, yeah so I, obviously I missed some major plot beats and that completely ruined the experience for me yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to figure out what the fuck was going on most of the time like what the hell is this mm-hmm. um, I found myself thinking while I was watching it no wonder this fan, I mean, it's, it's like I said it starts the cultiest cult film that ever culted um, it's almost like someone set out to make a film to be a cult classic yeah. But they did. Um, the story behind this is an interesting one. I did a little bit of research mm. um, that this film was released in a similar way to say Jesus Christ Superstar or Hair, which were both popular musicals of the age. Mm. And there's a story about meatloaf and one of the producers or a director went and saw it at a midday screening or a day screening. And there was no one there. This film was mm. empty except for then. Um, and it was a complete and utter flop on, on normal release. It was only a couple of years later when some clever dick at the uh, film company's marketing department decided to give it, thought maybe this will work well in the midnight screening sort of circuit. Having some mm. films like Flamingo by Roger Waters a couple of years earlier had done quite well in that space. Mm-hmm. That's when it really started to explode. Yeah. With especially in cities like New York and Chicago, where people would turn up, like I said, in costume and you know, dance and sing and back at the mm. movie uh, and yell things out. Um, but obviously they intended this to be a standard film success. They did not intend for it to be a cult icon. And from there, they're obviously probably incredibly successful, I imagine, mm. in terms of it is still in limited release today.
0: Yeah, which is it's incredible to, 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 to see that. But I think it's really bizarre thinking about like the, the similar kind of um, movies Around the same time, these these musical ideologies and then being popular, there was a there was a period, much like with cowboy movies, uh, everything was cowboy movies and everyone was making cowboy movies and they were successful. Now we're in the superhero phase where everyone's making superhero movies. There was a phase where there was a lot of musicals coming out because they were Oscar bait, they were the the, the family fun, they were serving a lot of audiences and they were just the uh, the flavor of the month, so to speak
1: if you think about it, they were kind of the Marvel films of their day. Yeah. In sense, as, as we know it today, no, studio, or very rarely is a studio going to take a chance on an original story that's not connected mm-hmm. to a previous existing book a property of yeah. some kind of, it's in an, an existing universe, an existing franchise, it's a sequel, it's a prequel, it's based on a book, it's based on a comic, it's based on a TV show, it's a reboot, mm-hmm. something like that. That's yeah. where films live today. Yeah. yeah. Um, in a way, this is what studios were doing in the 70s because- well, you know, if you're going to make Jesus Christ superstar, people already know what that is because that's been playing at their local theatre and on, on Broadway, and uh, yeah. you know, the, the records come out and it's been the songs are on the radio. Mm-hmm. So it was a safe-ish mm-hmm. bet or a safe bet in the sense that yeah. there was an existing brand. And Rocky Horror Picture Show, if you don't know, was a stage show before it was a film. Mm-hmm. It played for years in the in the UK. Um, and very briefly in the United States, apparently, mm. it did not do well. Uh, even mm. with Tim Curry in the um, in the stage show. Um, so if you're what a what a shame would have been cool to have seen that. I guess just from yeah one of those sort of just historical perspectives to see Tim Curry doing uh, Frank Inferta on on stage in like Broadway or wherever wow. it was playing. I don't know. Um, but that's kind of where musicals. I could how I saw a few musicals of a the time. They were mm. the the safer Her um, so, but then, then you look at
0: what is on display in this music and I doubt that you would get anything quite this overt about any of the topics that are now hot button topics in kind of social commentary about sort of like the, um, the gender neutrality, of frankenfurter going from um uh from uh, what what are their names janet and brad separately the the over flamboyant nature of it and the the casual murder of of eddie and all of that sort of stuff it's that's we've not been we've not entered a phase where that is safe T, uh, tv or movie to the point to or, or mass market appeal i mean it's they they do it in a really entertaining way but it was so this was 1975
1: this came out yeah i mean i found myself thinking that as well while I was watching it was hmm. oh my god this must have been well i don't hear a lot about it being controversial maybe it's because it disappeared beneath a waves without much of a ripple initially. But yeah. um, the, the, the ideas on display here are incredibly progressive for the mid yeah. Like you have a lead role for a, your, your hero, your protagonist, I guess, if you will, is an LGBT character. You know, he yeah. is a trans today, I guess you would call him a trans person. He's referred to himself as a transvestite in the film. I feel like that's a word we don't use anymore. Maybe that's not cool anymore. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, do if I'm talking at school, yeah. I mean, you tell me. Yeah. I don't know, but, um, but you know, he's essentially a transgender or at least um, gender. You sort said of gender neutral or gender individual, um, <laughs> or gender fluid. I mean, maybe both. But who knows? He's playing with gender in a way that. Mm. But then again, that was not quite so unusual at the time. You think to David Bowie. Um, he was that androgynous thing at the time, and he was playing around with his sexuality and his gender. Um, and I feel like the glam rock movement was a definite influence, yeah, on, on this film. And interestingly, the the set, uh, the, the uh, costume designer claims that her um, costumes were a major influence on the punk movement. Um, okay. Take that for what it is, I yeah, but um, I found the idea of it also. There are scenes depicting essentially some fairly light homosexuality, if you will. Um, yeah, I use the word light homosexuality, it was not so graphic, and you know, um, but you know, when um, uh, Brad and Frank are in bed having a cigarette together, you know, it's yeah, that, that's code, right? Yeah, uh, for what's just happened. You're like, and this is something as far as I know, it was available in you know, regular run of the mill cinemas. Um, yeah. this wasn't this is pretty out there yeah and um, it's interesting the 70s were pretty wild because you can imagine 10 years later in the reagan years in the u.s maybe this wouldn't have come out no no it would not it simply would not it, this this wouldn't
0: have um got into cinemas during thatcher's reign in the uk
1: it was just yeah no. no. um thank you so, I, I found this, myself thinking the same thing. It was really quite an interesting film to see at the time. And I mean, uh, I, we, we've talked at length about um, the documentary about transgenderism you can find on Netflix. I think on Netflix called um, Disclosure mm. and the whole idea of if you can't be what you can't see. So, mm. to actually see a trans, essentially a, a gender neutral transgender, however you want to describe it, person mm. on screen for people who had that, who were feeling that way about themselves, must have been. Must have been a revelation at the time. Yeah, maybe that explains some of its popularity.
0: I think that. I think that. It's certainly, just my my thought process process for that is, as especially living in London, um, it was a. People say, "Oh, it's night and day." It's, to stark differences and yeah there are certain parts of london particularly around soho and so like chinatown kind of area that central london area where their personality the, the personality of the city does change at night and you get more of the outlandish braggadocious big personality alternative lifestyle however you want to put it people out and about feeling more confident in their space so this having that midnight viewing success Kind of makes sense because it's like, all right, this is this is the time when we're safe. Oh, fantastic! Let's see what's on. The scene. Oh my God, it's me up on stage. <laughs> you know? It kind
1: of rings to some logic. That said, there are some issues in this film around consent. <laughs> yes, yes, there are one or two. <laughs> um, so that the other angle, the other angle in the scene I was just talking about, where is uh, Frank and Furter essentially pretends to be Brad or Janet to Brad and Janet um, mm. to basically con them into having sex with him is mm-hmm. pretty out there. And, and you'd have to say it's essentially rape because that's a non-consensual encounter for both of them. Yep. Um, and it's played for laughs. Yep. I just—I actually must say—I did sneaker. It's like, oh my god, what have you done to Brad? I've done oh nothing. Why do you think I should? Um, (laughs) And then exactly the same line. What have you done, Janet? Nothing. Why do you think I should? It's like it's (laughs) actually very funny.
0: Um,
1: Well, I found it funny at the same time. I'm like, oh, that's problematic.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I think in the in the spectrum of what we've been presented in the movie, I I think it's kind of okay it's it's like the with the rules set out in the movie of what the rules of that world are it kind of fits i guess because neither of them aside from um aside from janet basically having a song about how she's really horny now (laughs) um it's kind of all right neither of them seem to be actually offended by it i mean is is this kind of okay in in the world of rocky horror it's it's an interesting one it's certainly not something that you could get away with today not even
1: how (laughs) deliberate it is but it's almost the a metaphor for this couple's sexual awakening yeah they sort of go from you know mild to wild in the period of however long they're in the mansion (laughs) yeah I, i don't know i assume that was a deliberate choice
0: I, yeah, I think so, and and I think the um, sort like the uh, the swimming pool dance and song number is all about them kind of coming to terms with that, and especially the the visuals of them kind of going, being turned to stone and then being turned back, and sort of like being dressed up and just in, in being enveloped in the moment of euphoria. And then the sadness of seeing Frank and Ferda die, and then having to run away from the teleporting <laughs> okay. uh, mansion is all that. Okay, so did they just go back to normal life afterwards? It's like, ah, you know what? We don't talk about that night.
1: Yeah, you know, these days there would be a sequel and there'd be a spin-off. You know, like Magenta, the movie. You know. Well, wow. um,
0: you say that there actually was um a pseudo sequel um called uh shock therapy or no shock treatment sorry and um it was janet and brad become contestants on a game show but wind up as captives instead it's set several several years later um in their hometown, which has become a giant TV station, residents are either participants or viewers. They're married now, but their romance is falling on the rocks. Ostensibly to fix their marriage, Brad is imprisoned on the program Dentonvale, the local mental hospital, while Janet is conscribed to become a new star. As Janet is enter, uh, entered into, uh, is entranced by, the, entranced by the high life. I'll let speak one day. She forgets Brad, who is trying to woo
1: her away. <sighs> when was that released? Uh, 81. Wow. Well, um, and if... it's got a 36 Metacritic score. Yes, that probably doesn't sound great. Mm-hmm. Uh, unintended sequel. Sounds right up with, um American Psycho 2. <laughs> Harsh. Um, so I found this an interesting film. Um, I am glad um, mm-hmm. I saw it. Mm-hmm. um and in fact speaking of sequels i feel like um have you ever seen hedwig and the angry inch yes i feel like almost that i saw that a few years ago in la and this is like a spiritual success of this film
0: hundred percent agree hundred percent
1: i i don't know i have to assume the 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 um creator of, i forget who the guy who wrote hedwig and the angry inch was um mm. but he he must have been a huge fan of this um you got to think, you got yeah. to imagine. Uh, I'd love to watch that film in the show sometimes, that'd be great. So there, um, there's,
0: there's your goal for like I had a goal for Clue, you mm-hmm. can have a goal for Hedwig.
1: We, I mean, I've actually, I've never seen the film version, I saw the live version, and it was really good. Um, that I am doing my I don't like musicals, um, uh, reputation, no, uh, no good here, am I? Oh my <laughs> god, Barry Humphreys is in that sequel. Ugh. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of people who are no good Um, Anyway I'm glad we watched it As I said last week Sometimes you got a zig when they expect you to zag Mm -hmm. And it was from a film history perspective It's an important film Mm,
0: I think so And the fact that it uh, introduced the world To the delightful pleasure That is Tim Curry It'll always have a place in my heart Even if it is You know it, no, yeah, if, it, it's anyway. a confused place in my heart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> confused, you know. Uh, this is from I, I need, I need to come and help, help <laughs> clear up my <the> confusion. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. you have the keys if you're I
0: done do, with this film. I do, and we are going to go. We are going to follow Susan Sarandon, but not just Susan Sarandon. We are going to follow her voice to 1996. We are going to go to. a lost classic because he has made some fantastic movies um, that have become generally more aware, but Henry Selick, he directed stop-motion animation version of James and the Giant Peach in 1996. Wow, rolled up. Yeah. And this one has got um, a cast of people that we would know. You've got Joanna Lumley, the late Pete Postlewaite, simon callow richard Dreyfus, um, miriam margulies susan sarandon david thewlis um and i think those are certainly the only names that i recognize out of that lot but yeah stop motion animation for us is the next
1: i haven't movie. seen this film i think it's a disney film so i assume it's on neither disney
0: have i So I have not seen this one and I am a huge fan of stop motion animation. So this is a great opportunity for me to um, plug a a terrible gap in my
1: collection. And I remember liking a film when I was a kid, uh, sorry, Mm. a book when I was a kid. So Mm. uh, I haven't seen a Roald Dahl film in a very long time. There you go, so that's an interesting one. We're We're going from sublime to ridiculous next week. We're going from Rocky Horror to a family movie. Um, we a family <laughs> show here, um, and there should be plenty of um plenty of exits for that one. Exactly, it's like not going to you know going to quietly
0: suggest Pete Potterway as the launching off point because he's had some fantastic films,
1: and he's one hell of a he
0: was a one hell of a talent.
1: Did we we watch Coraline once, didn't we? Was that being part of a chain? I feel like it was part of a chain.
0: Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think um
1: Henry Selick did that as well, didn't he?
0: Oh, that was uh, Keith. Um... Shit, the guy did the voice of the cat. Um, Keith, <laughs> Keith, what's his fuck?
1: Anyway, um, we <laughs> won't be Cor- it won't be Coraline because we've done that one and that was a yeah. fucked up movie. Uh, hopefully this one's <laughs> a little bit dark as well. Mm -hmm. Um, because uh, I enjoyed that one very much. Uh, Keith David. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. The coolest man who ever existed.
0: One of the best voices. Now, should we talk about um, episode two of The Rings of Power?
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. um, It's been about a week ago, so I'm struggling to remember it a bit now. Um, But um, we talked about it last week, um, Mm -hmm. about the, um, I guess, we couldn't avoid talking about the fuss going on about this and how people have lost
0: It's so head. weird that they chose Galadriel to do twerking at the end. I know, but, you
1: know, it's, it's, it's really empowering, you know, yeah. and uh, the fact that um, Megan V. Stagin is now canon in the uh, Tol- Tolkien <laughs> universe, <laughs> I am I think it's a step forward for society, don't you? I um, so. <laughs> um, so, epic drama set thousands of years before Lord of the Rings, yada, yada, yada. You probably know what it is. It's on Amazon. Episode two, Galadriel mm-hmm. finds a new ally. Elrond faces a cold, a cold reception from uh, an old friend. Nori endeavours to help a stranger. Arondir searches for answers while Broman warns her people of a threat. Episode directed again by J.A. Biona. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he gave us the heads up last week. This one's a mm-hmm. little bit more focused. Mm-hmm. whereas The first one was very broad. Here's everybody. Here's where they mm-hmm. are. Here's what they're doing. This this episode, we are focusing in on a little bit more of both storylines um, and a little bit more action, a little bit more happening. Absolutely. Um, we have um, Galadriel, played by Morford Clark, is, has um, jumped off the Elven transport going back to Valhalla or wherever the fuck it was going, um, <laughs> Frankston or something. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. Um, <laughs> She doesn't want to go there, and who would blame her? Frankson sucks. Um, but you know, and she's swing, which is you know, an inter- interesting choice. And she happens across a, a raft of survivors, and there we um, uh, have some interesting going on there. I won't spoil it for people. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, 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 what's his name? Um, Arondia,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: uh, sort of um, investigating a large hole in the ground, which mm-hmm. um uh is exciting uh well um Bronwyn is trying to tell what is playing this is the role of a cassandra here mm-hmm. um, it's, uh the fight scene between her and the orc i thought was probably the highlight of the series so far for me i yeah. found it very very entertaining really really nicely done it was great. Um, the sequence was really you felt them at appropriate level
0: of threat and dread it looks good it Pretty well done
1: overall. I'm finding the story with the hobbits uh, pretty fucking dull um, because, yeah, they're halffoots, they're hobbits essentially. So, yeah, the hobbits mm-hmm. usually are yeah. the characters in any film. Oh, I said it, people. I went there. Um, but they're, they're, there's a, one of them discovers a giant that's fallen from the sky that happens at the end of the first episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are now trying to figure out what the fuck's going on with that giant Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time as Elrond is being set up for I imagine getting the rings cast Mm -hmm. Yeah, rings of power Um, I thought it was good, I don't really understand why it's copying so much shit Like, I, I mean it's not the best thing I've ever seen then again it's not going to be because I'm not a massive fan of fantasy it's not really my chosen genre but um, it's certainly entertaining enough to make me watch want to watch episode three i just don't have a whole lot of time to mm. um, to watch and uh, watch it yet unfortunately otherwise i would be up with george in episode three very frustrating i'm sure for the viewers to be fine i'm an episode behind him we should have probably coordinated this um <laughs> but you'd think we would um professionals. <laughs> professionals oh by the way look what arrived today in the mail oh goodness me i Seven. may one day see money from that <laughs> if you haven't already, this is a very fine book by the one and only George tarrant Um, you know, if you live here in Australia, he might even sign it for you if you live in Melbourne. Um, but uh still available now. We haven't plugged this for a while. Yes, off topic, but is available on the Amazons yes where you watch lord of rings apparently so
0: exactly you've if you've got prime you've probably got kindle already you can download the digital version for free ladies and
1: gentlemen. you can't sign a a digital version sorry but you may sign the um the screen of your kindle if you ask very nicely and promise not to sue you afterwards um (laughs) anyway i'm thoroughly flummoxed why people hate this so much it's um, I guess the other interesting development here is Elrond um, meeting the dwarfs. and this is the yep. first viewing of uh, first time we see the, uh, the dwarf kingdom. And mm-hmm. I guess that's one of the first controversial bits is we have an Af- a female dwarf who's also uh, a person of color. because um, that 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 couldn't possibly happen. and people seem to be really digging deep into that world talking you know, didn't describe them that way, like we said again. I just have to remind anybody who's watching who's pissed about your series. They're fictional characters. They're- what we talked about this at length last man. week. They're fictional characters. <laughs> um, oh, just lied to me. What did you make of you in episode episode three? How are you finding your series?
0: I'm still really enjoying it. Like I, I really liked um, episode two as kind of a palate cleanser from the first one where we had. Like I said, I said last time we talked about that, like very stiff upper lip, almost royalty and regal kind of um, machinations of the elves, and how that was very long and drawn out and slow and meandering and very Tolkien feeling. And in Episode Two, you get more of the lifestyle of the dwarves and the fact that they can there's there's the line where it's like oh it might have only been 25 years for you but it's been 25 years for me and i've got a whole family you missed my wedding you missed the birth of my children and all that stuff and it's nice having that that dichotomy of viewpoints coming in and seeing a very different type of lifestyle for the for a very different race to what we saw in
1: first episode very much
0: enjoyed that.
1: And come back to that uh, orc fight. So if you remember the orcs from Lord of the Rings, mm. like, they look pretty badass. Yeah. But the characters in the film, apart from the hobbits, but, you know, um, Sean Bean and, uh, you know, Viggo Mortensen's characters, I forget their names, Aragon and Sean Bean.
0: Boromir.
1: Boromir. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, they they just take, they, they kind of they can wail on the orcs. They kill a lot of orcs, you know. Yeah. Um, they all kind of do it pretty much, except the hobbits. Um, they're only they're a threat in large numbers, mostly mm. except for the um that really big ultimate warrior hawk um orc. Who... <laughs> oh my god, he is the ultimate warrior. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know it. you know exactly the one I'm talking about too. <laughs> um, the big ultimate warrior orc is kind of a badass and kills people, <laughs> but um, you know most of the orcs are they can be taken care of. But you can you know a human. Mm can go head-to-head with head an orc and expect a good chance of winning if you're a skilled mm. warrior. Mm. The orciness is really kind of portrayed one orc takes mm. two of them to really take down, and they just, he just keeps coming and coming mm-hmm. and coming and coming at them. And mm-hmm. what I really liked about it is really setting the orcs up, which we haven't really seen a lot of yet, It's a genuine threat to these, these people, mm. um, this com- small community of people. Um, and it's kind of telling us, you know, but once we saw – later on maybe very different or it's just the people fighting and how to keep some skill and that you need to be you come strapped you know with proper armor and and stuff and you need to know how to handle yourself if you're going to go head to head with one of these things i thought that was really smart really well done um again i think i feel like people are just maybe people complaining about it haven't seen it or they're just objecting on I
0: i think are very warped um what i totally agree with you on the representation of the orcs it is to go to use D as an analogy many many people just if you suddenly have an an encounter and it's sort of like oh and goblins appear people just go uh, whatever but goblins can actually be one hell of a genuine threat if um rp'd correctly and if utilized correctly in that in that environment and that's the same kind of feel that we how they been being represented here at an early level, which a standard human would kind of qualify as, yeah, they're going to be a threat. They're kind of rabid and, and they're strong, these orcs. They're, they're, they're feral kind of creatures, the way, they, the way they're looking at the moment. And the comparison, the variation, I understand for two reasons. Um, how and why they are, shall we say, softer? In Lord of the Rings, is that it is supposed to be this band of genuine heroes and absolute fucking badasses? And seeing them, uh, kind of like muso through their their games, where they're just swinging their sword around, just killing people and just destroying and wrecking fools, it makes them look really badass and heroic and powerful. But it does make them seem more of like a, eh, they're not really a threat. It's when you suddenly start getting the Urukai coming in that suddenly it's oh they're fucked up. Um so it's really nice to have that threat in that so twisting the knife a little bit is going, okay, you know this threat, but you don't know this threat. It works. It works to drive the story and gives compelling reason for
1: her to then just go back into the fucking tavern with the head and just go that was a that was a that was a badass scene. I enjoyed that. Yeah, and you know, it's like I just don't understand. You know mm. the the object. I keep saying it. I don't understand any objections. I think it's good. I don't even like fantasy. I don't even like Tolkien very much. Maybe mm. it helps that I don't like Tolkien I'm not I'm not as attached to this mm. you know, purest vision of what it can be. It must be exactly what it was written in the books. Mm. You know, one step outside the boundary. go, you know, this book is this is not based on one of his books. This show is based on the fucking footnotes from the you know? Yeah. So, like, get over it.
0: This also brings in an interesting um, f- uh, thought process with the with the the stipulations, the contractual stipulations of Amazon on this show. Um, they have to have five seasons, so it's not going to get canned. Which also suggests that if they're doing it right, they've got basic. Hit points for each one, story beats for each season. That sort of like that mid-season bit that they're going to go to. That how season one is going to end, how season two is going to start, and all of that. They should have a rough plan of that. And I hope so. apparently, it's uh, going to tell the equivalent story of about a thousand years um, before Lord of the Rings, and they are going to condense a lot of that. So we see the the fall of Numenor and um, uh, the kind of the hiding of the dwarves and all of that sort of stuff. So it's going to be interesting what liberties they take, but I think it could actually serve to make a really compelling, potentially very interesting, well-written five season TV series that is self-contained in that five seasons, just telling its own story with, with the Tolkien set of rules, shall we say?
1: Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, and it, they wanted their own Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I think probably maybe they've got one. Um, yeah. I would be fascinated to know what the viewership's like. Um, yeah, you know, they don't have to tell us that because they. I don't think they do anyway. Um, they're not, not Amazon publicly traded. Maybe they will. The rating on, on is an, on IMDb currently is a six point nine. Mm-hmm. for The show as a whole. Uh, remembering that it was review-bombed to hell and back. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand, um, you know, I, I was critical of uh, Rotten Tomatoes earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it does give us um, something
0: of a, some point of measure, at least.
1: Rotten Tomatoes is worse. So yes. it has an 84% uh, critic score and a 39 audience score. Oh jeez. I don't know how much we can trust that. Yeah. Um, just because yeah, it's we, we understand it's been reviewed bomb. It's become one of those sort of political hot potato shows that mm-hmm. you know, there are people who are making videos on YouTube getting lots and lots of views and stuff because they say it sucks.
0: Yeah. All right, well, I won't talk about um, episode three because I'll let you
1: catch up. <laughs> um, but are you still enjoying it? you are got to keep watching?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've got, um, they're still introducing a couple of new characters and doing a slow reveals of other, so like, so like some more focus on the the bad guys a little bit. And there are a couple of names that you suddenly got Oh, I recognize that name. Okay, okay, okay. I see what's going to happen there. Building a little bit of that destined tragedy or heroism that helps get a bit more immediate uh, immediacy and urgency and agency in characters. So I think they're doing well, and it still looks great. I've, I'm sick and tired of so many shows having really good CGI and visuals and production values for the first episode of the second episode and then it just kind of going oh yeah we, we blew our budget in the first one we can't afford that anymore let's just get a big standing on its hind legs as an orc <laughs> which i would ironically kind of find funny to watch but um this is like the most expensive tv show that has been produced to date apparently um and it shows when you look at it, the production, the values, the costuming, the sound, everything looks stellar. So, yeah, I'm in.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm so impressed with it so far. It looks amazing. You can see the money on the screen. It's entertaining stuff. If you haven't seen it and you just believe in the YouTube videos and the, the yeah. stuff you see online, give it a chance. Um, I think you'll be impressed. Yeah. Now, speaking of Disney. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, not speaking this at all. Um, speaking of big tent poles, She-Hulk, you kept going. I've stopped. How is it going?
0: Uh, well, I'm going to bundle my She-Hulk thoughts into a little bit of conversation about the release, the announcements from D23 as well. If if we just have a bit of a rundown and thoughts, and uh, but I mean. Know, pour one out for the death of hollywood so she hulk uh, this latest episode which is episode one two three four it's called is this not real magic she hulk's new client wong is suing a magician for unauthorized use of the mystic arts <sighs> so considering in episode three Jennifer Walters addresses the audience straight away and says, oh, yeah, this is my show. Don't forget that. We're not going to have a guest spot star every every episode. Four episodes in, they've had a guest spot every episode. So it's sort of like, hmm. Yeah. And then in the beginning of this episode, she ad- again addresses the audience as saying, hey, yeah, it's great. We've got Wong. That gives us um, a little bit of Twitter immunity or something along those lines. Hmm. know if you should really be addressing that straight away because yeah it does seem like a cheap cop out not good it's not Um,
1: good you you know it's a funny thing is that like popular tv shows that are good Mm. don't have to address what twitter's saying about them the only other Mm. thing i can remember doing that was when they they were so clever and they inserted the stuff in uh Ghostbusters 2016 about the people on the internet don't believe the comments on youtube they're stupid or whatever and you're like Mm. That was so simple. yeah. You saw that fucking trailer. You saw that trailer too. That that first trailer for Ghostbusters was terrible. Mm-hmm. I don't care who. It's terrible. Um, mm-hmm. So, but mm-hmm. like, it's if you're addressing your critics like that, I think they kind of win. Just keep yeah. making the TV show you want to make.
0: Yeah. Um. Still. <sighs> Like we, we talked about it off camera um, when I caught up with you and Michelle, um, I have seen proof of life that she is still alive. Everyone, by the way, it is it is it's fine. The track perspective is <clears throat> somewhat consensual, <laughs> contractual, <laughs> should I say? Because <laughs> she lost the bet.
1: It's very, it's a necessary legal standard. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, we were talking about it, and it's an episode where she essentially joins Tinder as Jennifer Walters and all that she meets are assholes and you know crappy uninteresting guys and then not remotely interested in her because she never sort of like she's just presenting herself as she is as she is comfortable with to reinforce the fact that there is only one nice guy in the She-Hulk universe and he's moderately okay and he's only been in one episode um it's just bad writing it's bad writing. I get the message and talk to Michelle about this and the, the most poignant line of um, in the first episode where she says, oh, those are the baselines for my day. It's like, yes, that is very good. There are much better ways to express that continuously through the show. They're just doing the cheap, lazy narrative way to do it. On top of that, shit CGI persists in this show. It looks really bad. Anytime She-Hulk is wearing that fucking silver suit, it looks like N64 graphics or something. It's bad. Um, The stories are uninteresting. It's not actually really developing the character of Jennifer Walters slash She-Hulk. I'm not interested in any of her friends that are in the show. I'm only interested in Wong because Benedict Wong is good at what he does and He is nailing his character. He has done since the first Doctor Strange movie. There's nothing else remotely engaging in this show, and I don't know why people are liking it.
1: They they believe they like what they're told to like, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think they're just holding out hope until Daredevil makes his cameo, which, huh, is going to be another cameo. And considering there's only nine episodes in this season... We've got four episodes down with cameos in all of them, plus confirmed Daredevil in at least one of them. So that's over half of the show with cameos. Hmm, not good, not good. Now, let's go on to some of the big announcements from D23, Disney's big brand announcement. And there was tons of stuff that was announced, and all of it is unoriginal.
1: Is the based um,
0: on pre-existing properties? Yes. Um, so we've got The Muppets, um, more of the Muppets, The Muppets Mayhem, which is coming next year to Disney Plus. Um, we've got uh high school musical, high school musical, the musical, the series. I'm not even joking in that. They've got two colons in that title. Um and then they've got um, American-born Chinese.
1: This one I'm interested in seeing.
0: Yes, because it's actually essentially bios about some of the the, the most profound um, acting talents that are now finally actually being allowed to have a voice in Hollywood.
1: Um, facing Michelle Yao and Kiki uh, Kwan from uh, everything everywhere all at once. Um, yes. and Sorry. Daniel Wu is in here as well who yes I've seen him before anyway um, but it looks at, it's based on a graphic novel I believe
0: mm. So I'm excited to um, to see that and hopefully it doesn't get the typical Disney bio trend of just being very very candy cane sweet. I hope that they actually have some substance to it. But um, we'll find out, I guess. We've got the Percy Jackson and the Olympians TV series. Um, The Proud Family, which is considering it's louder and prouder, it's an all new, uh, it's next season.
1: Growing Up. I'm just looking for his announcement. Apparently, that's a season two. I've never heard of a first season. Me neither. Uh, Um, Yeah. there's a sequel, they made a sequel to Doogie Howser and I wasn't informed.
0: <laughs> I,
1: I don't care. <laughs> um, then
0: we've got oh, yep, there's the Santa Clauses, hmm, National Treasure, Edge of History TV show. Um, what else have we got here? Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which don't know, don't care. It looks like it's for kids. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? I'm just looking through the list
1: here. Yeah, something, Doogie. So Doogie has a second series of something John Stamos is in. I never heard of the first season. Yeah. Um, um, Zombies 3. Pack. Apparently, I love this line here. Um, the third installment in the uber-popular Zombies franchise. So uber-popular, I've never heard of it. <laughs>
0: Uh, descendants four um and then of course we've got all of the movie releases which are painfully disturbing i have a question for everyone out there and that is who fucking asked for a mufasa origin story
1: Well, that's kind of what I've been joking about, like I was talking about earlier. Like, let yeah. say, Rocky Horror, movie, like a Magenta origin story, a Riff Raff origin story, you know, uh, an Eddie origin story, a Columbia origin story, you know, um, you know, probably a spin-off about Transylvanians for children, you know, it's, he, um, yeah. and but this is just after we have had the live action Pinocchio come out, at least in the U.S., I don't know if it's come out here. It's on Disney+. Um, apparently, uh, apparently it's fucking terrible.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is... Uh, th- th- this Mufasa... Why? Who cares? We know how it, it's going to ultimately end because we've fucking seen Lion King. And you just know that it's going to be exactly the same story arc. It's going to be the same story and Maybe the, um, Mufasa's father doesn't die horrendously like that, but it's going to be... He's going to be a rambunctious young child because all kids in Disney movies are rambunctious young kill- children or... Misunderstood geniuses, and they are um, they are going to go through some kind of adversity. They're going to find a group of friends that accept them for who they are, and then they're going to come back, and then they're going to be um, be ascending up to being the Lion King. Wow. Yep. Feel like I saw this a million times before. just going to
1: be? I was also disappointed to he hear we we're doing it in in and out, and in, so Inside Out two. Yes. Like, oh, what, guys? I, Please, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Inside Out is a fucking masterpiece. It's brilliant. Yes. You can't get lightning. Look, I mean, I, look, they got Toy Story 2 and 3, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it does happen, but it's pretty mm-hmm. rare. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other more original stories that could be telling with their Pixar studio mm-hmm. because most of the stuff that Pixar spits out now is pretty bad.
0: Yep. We've got Hocus Pocus 2. We've got Disenchanted, which is the sequel to 2007's Enchanted. We've got Peter Pan and Wendy, which is, a, there, there was some something that I read about it, so like where it's addressing the gender imbalance. Wow, that's, that's one of the things that they're already pushing for it. Oh, okay, but haven't we seen the Peter Pan story and Peter Pan and Wendy too much already? Come on, just do something different. Uh, we've got the Haunted Mansion. Um we have got Mufasa, we have got Disney's Snow White again. Uh, we've got The Little Mermaid. We've got Elemental. This is a new movie. But it's Disney and Pixar, so it's now somewhat questionable. Win or Lose, which is Pixar's first TV series that they're doing. Elio, which is another Pixar movie. Um Based on original idea, which could be fun, but again, question mark, Inside Out 2, didn't ask for it, Zootopia Plus, who cares, Iwaju, which is um, Journey into a Futuristic Version of Lagos, Nigeria TV series, could be interesting if you're a young child. Is Strange Worlds, which is coming out later this year, new thing, wish, new. Then we've got the Lucasfilm stuff. We've got the TV series of Andor. We've got Willow. We've got the next season two of the Bad Batch. We've got Tales of the Jedi because they haven't destroyed the mysticism and mystery of the Jedi too much already. They needed to absolutely make sure that it was never gonna come back um ahsoka star wars skeleton crew mandalorian season three somehow they're doing like what uh goat simulator three did where they made a joke about there only being two of them but it's go simulator three they're doing indiana jones five apparently
1: that's it it's an interesting choice i mean you would have thought they'd go with four first
0: yeah exactly exactly Uh, Marvel Studios, we've got Wakanda Forever, we've got Ironheart, which is a TV show, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumanium, Werewolf by Night, which it's some kind of special presentation. Don't know what it is. Secret Invasion, which is a limited series, I think. Armor Wars, Loki Season 2. Fantastic Four, Echo, Daredevil, Born Again, which Charlie Cox recently came out and said, yep, the first season of the Disney show is not going to be season four of Daredevil. It is season one. So what are they going to read? What does that even
1: mean? Like, throw away the storylines and everything that was in the original?
0: Yeah, because they though, even though they were over at Netflix, they were still kind of connected to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I think is still technically canon, maybe? So, huh, curious. Um, Captain America, New World Order, uh, The Thunderbolts, The Marvels, and then you've got Avatar, The Way of Water, woohoo. Muppets Mayhem, High School Musical, The Musical, The Series. Um, and the rest I've already talked about. So very little original stuff coming out of Disney. And people might argue, yeah, that Disney don't make original stuff. But considering they own 20th, 20th Century Fox, they own Miramax, they own all of these other things, I feel like they should have enough space in their distribution and production canon to create something new that isn't just Pixar doing something new that I'm probably going to end up going to Disney Plus because Disney don't actually have much faith in them anymore
1: um, well, I guess what it made me th- I had to think about this the other day is mm. that they just really need to give you reasons to stay subscribed to Disney Plus I feel like Disney Plus is probably aside from you know, Marvel mm. and you know, any future Star Wars film products projects, which apparently are all still on hold right now mm-hmm. um, they just need to keep you subscribing to Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that She-Hulk is trash, um, and I, I, I would go so far as to say I think pretty much every Marvel series apart from maybe WandaVision has been average to disappointing.
0: Mm-hmm. For yep. me, at least.
1: I know some people like one or the other. Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier had its moments and Loki had its moments. But overall, I most of them, except for WandaVision for me, have been pretty average to bad. Yep, um, But they've still got more subscribers than they have Netflix. Yeah. Um, the Mandalorian gave up halfway through. Boba Fett gave up halfway through and made it season two and a half of Mandalorian. like <laughs> <laughs> People don't care. As no. long as they keep getting a new Marvel show, a new Star Wars show, or something else they familiar, they recognize. Mm-hmm. They get a new Marvel film, a new Disney film based on something, they recognize that They can fucking put the kids in front of them. They'll shut the fuck up for a couple of hours. And watch Pinocchio, a live-action piece of crap. They don't care. I, yeah, it's working. Yeah, yeah. And
0: Quality then it people...
1: doesn't matter. Content matters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's just a, a, extraordinarily disappointing. And I went into work after D twenty three finished, and everyone was like, "Oh, do you see so much, so much cool stuff?" i was like,
1: "Where? I didn't see it." Um, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm with you. It's it's. None of that inspires me. I mean, yeah. I have Disney Plus, but maybe just for the show. I think that's not very rarely do I find something good on it to actually watch that I want to watch. I mean, it yeah. would be nice if I never got the stars side of thing as well, which is a slightly more adult oriented. But yep. um, I, I, think to, I think to myself, the only streaming service now that I think is doing interesting adult, yeah, what do we call it. Um, Adult content, if you're not... And it sounds like adult content, like something a bit naughty, but, you know, t- TV shows, like, for, for grown-ups... Yeah. yeah, you know, ...is Apple. Yeah. like Netflix makes garbage now. Prime is determined to play in the fantasy space, which is fine. But actually, you know, intel- intelligent, adult-oriented television... Yeah. ...is Apple. You know, we had... Um, uh, the some really good shows this year, which we've talked about in the past. What was the one with Ben? I, I can't even remember the name of it, but um, oh, Severance Severance is the one. Uh, mm-hmm. and we have a new season of For All Mankind, and yeah, mm-hmm. the, the Breakfast Wars and stuff like that. The Morning War, sorry, it's it's just we <laughs> are <is huge>. <laughs> doing Wars would be great though, yeah, if it would is. be interesting. Yeah, we're sitting yeah, Chocula versus Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Um, i'm your cup and crunch there should be a super smash brothers style video game of him in it that would be cool um
0: i'd be down for that
1: anyway uh i, I it's hmm. it's actually kind of soul stirring you seeing so yeah. little interesting stuff happen, and then then you see people who you respect going oh, it's good it's really good and you're like it's really not it's hmm. really average so like i mean could you please stand up for something better
0: yeah and it's not as if they're going. Oh well, Dis- Disney's a are- Disney's running out of money. They need to. No, they are more rich than they have ever been. They can afford to take a gamble on some things.
1: Make something interesting. You've got yeah. Go and make some two million dollar productions on the side. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was reminded this week because Clerks Three I think comes out in the states this mm-hmm. week. Yeah. No release date in Australia, Kevin. We exist. We do. Um, Uh, but we are not an island
0: off the side of England.
1: It's um, it's been getting good reviews, and there you go, it's a film made for 25,000 bucks. Yeah, um, I know Kevin hasn't always done great work, but like, wherever Kevin Smith's, I mean, give these guys a chance, you know?
0: Yeah, yes, please, please. Instead of just going, okay, you know what, we'll get this independent, um, this mildly successful independent director or production group, um, we'll give them the keys to. Like what they did with Chloe Zhao of going, yeah, put, go into the Eternals and we're gonna hold your hand for the whole thing. Like, no, give, them, give them something so that they can just really express themselves, and just give them a little bit of more money than they've ever had before. See what they make. You can fucking afford one flop a year. Easily, you can afford one flop a year.
1: Yeah, look to the order Brothers. They, they 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 can afford multiple flops a year. <laughs>
0: Ooh, ooh, getting the yeah. knives
1: out. <gasps> Segway into the trailer. Just write them off. Just write them off. It's um, <laughs> what they do. Um, I think it's uh, time mm. to go back to uh, the Trek Back to space. The Trek ladies and
0: gentlemen. Yes, the reason you have all been waiting for. Travis has been
1: holding out on you. It's been, yeah. we had some complications, you know. We, um, yeah we, yeah, busy, yeah, we have some busy lives, you know. Um, Michelle had an exam, an SAG last week, which he, she had to write. So, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes, I, 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 I promise. Yeah. Um, he's queuing it up here. Yeah.
0: Meanwhile, did while you're queuing that up, did you watch um, the Knives Out 2 trailer? I haven't seen it yet. No. Ooh, it looks good. It looks good, and there is an early review that I read about it, and it's nine out of ten. So hopefully, hopefully, so um... it's got one hell of a cast as well in it. I'm just going to quickly roll off in um, uh, glass onion is what it's called. Glass onion. Um, so we have got a cast of Daniel Craig returning as Benoit Blanc, Kate Hudson, Jessica Henwick, Ethan Hawke, Edward Norton, Dave Batista, Madeline Klein, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Ullman Jr., and Janelle Monet. It's a good ensemble cast and it looks fun. All
1: right, now. can you see my shared screen there? Yes. There we, yes. And... Greetings and salutations and welcome back to Trek Respective. After a significant break, our tour of India and the sun went very well. Um, but uh, for your viewing and auditory pleasure, myself and my delightful co-host Michelle are back this week. Sorry. Uh, And we've got a double feature, but it's going to be a Nitro double uh, Trek perspective this week as we motor on towards the end of what has been a remarkable journey, a a Trek, one might say, Um, through the stars, through the cinematic universe This Star Trek. We are talking Star Trek Insurrection and Star Trek Nemesis this week, the last two Star Trek Next Generation films. Uh, How are you feeling, Michelle, that you're so close to the end?
2: I cannot believe it, Captain. <laughs>
1: uh, have we made you a fan yet, or have we got to keep trying?
2: I don't know. <sighs> something something is changing, but I'm not sure if it's actually that it's getting better, or it's good, or I'm feeling inv- immersed in this universe, or I've just been, you know, captured, and I've fallen in love with my captor. I'm not quite sure what's going on here, to be honest. It's a very reluctant liking that's starting to happen it's extraordinarily reluctant so that's, um yeah there's,
1: there's stockholm syndrome there but we'll call that yeah. vulcan syndrome just to keep the theme of the show um so star trek insurrection we will talk about that one quickly first uh from 1998 when the crew of the enterprise learned of a federation conspiracy against the ha- inhabitants of a unique planet captain picard begins an open rebellion said made in 1998 you use your star trek next gen cast uh plus the uh, great uh f murray abraham playing Ruafo. um this is one of the lesser um next gen films i genuinely would say people don't fondly remember to say they would first contact to maybe even generations um has a 6.4 on imdb um what did you make of insurrection the story actually
2: i was uh, quite engaged with it all i like the idea of exploring the fountain of of youth through sort of a little bit of a sciencey edge to it uh and i thought it actually had a lot to say about things like dispossession future generations coming for past generations um you know the the things we are coming back to bite us the cards growing on me a little bit, although I still miss William. I got to say, in his dulcet tones, uh, it had a more more storyline for me, and I actually felt quite engaged. I think it's because we've discussed this before. I don't quite like the space battles as much
1: because no, they're clunky and silly. You got bored at the end when the space battle happened, didn't you?
2: I did a little bit, yeah. Uh, look. I'm not sure what's also happening is that we're getting to the later years. So we're getting to 1998. We're getting to years where I start to, um, where I can sort of enjoy film. I always find the 70s, depending on what it is, the 80s, quite difficult for me to watch how clunky filmmaking is still at that point and I think that Star Trek didn't have the good writers at the time or didn't understand basic plot structure or how to keep people engaged uh, and characterization and also special effects so I think all of that is starting to come together and actually flow a little bit better as you would expect from any movement movie and it's becoming beyond just getting a um episode of a uh series and extending it into film, they're actually getting a little bit more creative and engaged with what they're doing.
1: I'd like to note that Star Trek motion Picture won an Academy Award for Special Effects, by the way. So um yeah. Is, it does they don't understand special effects, but they won an Oscar. Um but I will not see only it's the only defense I will make for that film, which is an abomination. Um funny that you say it feels like you're starting to feel that they're not just like, episode stretched because I think most people would say that's a criticism of this film. It just feels like a stock episode of Star Trek Next Gen extended out to, you know, uh, an hour 40 minutes with a slightly better special effects budget. Mm. You didn't feel like that for you, obviously. You've never watched the show, so maybe that's why.
2: No, but I felt that there was more character development. There was more moments of contemplation. There was more discussion on what this meant for, for people who they were, um, doesn't he fall in love with the with? He does get
1: you. Yes, he gets a bit hot and heavy with one of the uh, people in the planet who's about four hundred years old.
2: This is
1: that. this is basically a fountain of youth story. Um, yeah. So, so
2: I, I I look. I found all the other ones so painful that this one I found less painful. Let's go with
1: that. Very good. So moving right along. Unsurprisingly, uh, uh, Michelle likes the ones that most trekkies don't like <laughs> um what do you, but what does
2: that say that i think that's something to explore there about why
1: moving forward yeah it's a possibility it's just a, I guess maybe what trekkies like you don't like and vice versa um we could explain why you're not a fan of a series or the tv shows i've never um, watched
2: them and do that, not intend on losing another bit
1: um well time will tell um, <laughs> Star Trek Nemesis was released in 2002, uh, the last of the Star Trek Next Gen films. The Enterprise is diverted to the Romulan homeworld, Romulus, supposedly because they want to negotiate a peace treaty. Captain Picard and his crew discover a serious threat to the Federation once Praetor Shinzon plans to attack Earth. The big notable addition to the cast here are two of them really. Uh, Tom Hardy in a very young Tom Hardy in a very early role for him playing Shinzon and Ron Perlman um, playing his viceroy under a lot of makeup so only the voice really giving him away there nice uh, cameo from Kate Mulgrew as Admiral Janeway Um, what did you make of Nemesis again a much maligned film in the Trek um, lineage not fondly remembered by Trek fans
2: I really liked it (laughs) (laughs) it's actually probably the one i've liked the most so far i thought the actorial chemistry between um patrick stewart and tom hardy was very very good i thought tom hardy how old is he 23 in in real life when he did this
1: about that yeah
2: he's got he just has such screen presence and angst and the acting between them and the back and forth is fantastic. I love the storyline about the cloning. I loved the motivation of the um, maybe that's the case. Maybe the villain is a good villain. Maybe maybe it's a, you know how Marvel suffers from bad villains. Maybe Trek has suffered from bad villains in the past. And this time we get a full arc of the villain and understanding and motivation. Um the fight scenes went to were were short enough and exciting enough and from interesting angles enough and kept the story upbeat that it just wasn't endless. Just looking at the ship, um, I thought the the mind meld stuff was a bit and the mind rape insinuation
1: pretty edgy for Star Trek.
2: Pretty no, pretty edgy for Star Trek. I'll give you that um interesting uh i i just overall i thought that the acting was better the storytelling was better the special effects were better i really liked it i don't understand why it's much maligned well, again i think what's people, the criticism
1: and again well i think people again thought it was a long episode stretched out to two hours um they just sort of you know they spoiler alert for a 20 year old film depth for popular character and data though apparently if they were going to make another film he was going to um he was going to be brought back um look i I remember at some point in the I don't past I
2: understand why trekkies don't don't like this film and didn't like the previous film
1: i said i think I just think they were a little bit underwhelming in the sense that they weren't very cinema and I, I can't speak for all trekkies um they're, they're fairly middling as these films go so for example, um, just the rating of first contacts, about a seven and a half. These are about a six and a half. So they're not Star Trek five bad. I just think people were a little underwhelmed by them. There was a lot of talking, a lot of exposition, not a lot of exploring, not a lot of action, not a lot happening. Uh, and
2: so it, I think we got to the bottom of what it is then. What the Trek is like is the exploration of ideas through sci fi worlds what i like is character development and relationship between the characters and motivation and so whenever there's that in the film i respond to that and when i get the rest of it which is not tethered in there's nothing worse than watching uh, an intellectual exercise without in storytelling without it being tethered to character there's just no point in that i think it's it's never good writing to do that um I mean, you should note that
1: the the cast itself were generally notably disappointed in this film. Um, But uh, the cast, in particular, Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirtis and LeVar Burton, had a little fierce criticism at Stuart Baird, the director, over his direction of the film, claiming he hated the Star Trek universe and knew nothing about it. Frakes even called the film a huge disappointment. For his part, Baird expresses his frustration in the Blu-ray commentary, having to tell a story in an established universe with pre-existing design and character relationships Hated having to reutilize recycled sets of props I had trouble remembering the names of the main cast.
2: I have trouble remembering the main cast, I can understand that.
1: Well, I mean, you went I- high to direct a you know $50 million film with a minute.
2: So, basically, the main thing that I can get there that is actually a, a leveled argument is that this person came into this universe without respecting the universe and actually told a good story.
1: Well, I guess you think it's sorry uh the critics didn't and i don't really look i mean a 6.4 is not a, a disastrous rating online um but i look if people watching tell me i'm wrong if you're a trekkie and you'd love this film and you think it's one of the better ones uh i'd be interested to hear why but i think the matter is it was a disappointment and a disappointing way to end the series it was definitely a commercial failure. That's why there wasn't another Star Trek film for seven years.
2: Oh, Jesus. Thank God. Seven uh, years. <sighs> wish- so the
1: audience score in this, on Rotten Tomatoes is 49. Um, I,
2: I'm still not getting to the essence of why. I still, what is it? I mean, these are all criticism when you're just like, oh, he's having a laugh. He's having a laugh. But what do you actually mean? Why did the people not like it? Why?
1: But well, I'm not everyone, so I can't tell you.
2: No, but um, what's the zeitgeist sort of communicate
1: on that? Um, Unless you're a fan of a long memory and a short attention man, sit this out. A flat farewell to the next generation crew. Nemesis is a wheel-spinning brand extension exercise bereft of anything beyond generic space-faring hooey. A movie that blandly goes where too many Star Trek pictures have gone before. The outcome is professionally as as ever, but the material feels learned by. Um, so there's some of the criticisms uh, that I can just quickly see here on Rotten Tomatoes, for example.
2: Okay, so basically they thought that this was kind of like, you know, Star Wars number nine, and it should have just been the end, like a status. It should have been for the for the fans. It should have been akin to um, the Fourth Avenger. Maybe it,
1: it it felt. I think the read I'm getting quickly here is it felt it was a bit half. A bit lackluster and a bit.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, I don't actually. I think it's actually maybe after watching it with you the other night. I think maybe it's it's a film worthy of revision. Now, twenty years later, that maybe it wasn't as bad as we thought it was when it came out. Um, just sort of a wet noodle of a film is kind of a vibe. I think people get.
2: Maybe you can just never satisfy that anticipation well and we will find when out tempered, when it's tempered with reality then after a while upon reflection nostalgia kicks in and goes "Ah, oh, it wasn't so bad
1: i think they could have done a lot better in the sense that they obviously had a director who didn't care well he's an interesting yin and yang so next week we're going to have uh we're talking about star trek 2009 the first of the abrams verse films uh, directed by uh, mystery, mr mystery box JJ uh, jojo abrams himself and there's someone else who doesn't like Star Trek, and he went out and made a Star Trek film for people who don't like Star Trek. And it did very well, and people liked it. So uh, I would be interested in the yin and the yang for you and your perspective on yet another installment by someone who, like yourself, isn't a fan, isn't enmeshed in the series' um, lore and and history like many people who've made other films are, like Leonard Nimoy or William Shatner, who were deeply ensconced in the Trek universe.
2: I must say, there is no joy. There's no... I'm not looking forward to... Every time I have to watch one of these films, I'm like, oh, yeah. I have to do this because I lost a bet and I am a person of my word. So I got to say, it's not growing on me to the extent where I'm like, yay, gee whiz, let's go and watch that next Trek movie. Yay. Um, well, because so, you're doing it under
1: under sufferance, So I don't know. It doesn't surprise me that, you know, you're far I mean, you would
2: You would think, though, that maybe by this point, I would actually go... Hey, this isn't so bad. Let's, I actually want to watch what happens. What's the next installment? What's the crew getting up to? You know, there's nothing of that.
1: What I think I've learned from talking to you over this is that I think we're never going to do it because it wouldn't take too much of your time investment from you. And I think I've burned that bridge. Um, I think if you actually sat through some of the better episodes, I think you'd probably find a lot more to enjoy there than you would in the movies because. They didn't have a budget for giant space battles in the TV show. So they had to rely on characterization of story significantly more and use their limited budget of space battles you know, in a much more choosy way. So they don't have giant.
2: Oh, have look, it. let me put it this way. Before I even consider watching any episodes of Star Trek, you would have to agree to watching com- community episodes. So
1: I have watched lots of community episodes. Anyhow, it's not going to happen. So, uh, Five or six. Five minutes enough. Um, <laughs> how many lockdowns for insurrection? How many lockdowns for Nemesis?
2: So probably, um, I probably give uh, three and a half lockdowns. So that's a six and a half out of ten that's... for the first one, mm-hmm. and, and then for um, Nemesis. I'd probably give it two lockdowns, so eight out of ten.
1: Quality, mm. quality. Uh, anyway, so next week, as I said, we'll be back, or hopefully next week, assuming we don't have any other uh, major issues get in the way, uh, we'll be back to talk about the 2009 Star Trek: The Abrams. Fit the first of the Abrams first. Um, look forward to seeing you then, Michelle. Of course, I won't see you in the meantime.
2: <laughs> of course not. Just then.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us and. Back to you, Spearsy.
0: There we go, ladies and gentlemen. The contrarian of the Trekkie, respective. (sighs) She likes the ones that everyone else doesn't. Questionable behavior. It's
1: become become a a pattern, she'll probably love Star Trek beyond. (laughs) Oh, no. That can't happen.
0: That can't happen. Now, I would like you to tell me about uh, Top Gun Maverick.
1: Yeah, so I finally bowed to pressure and saw the highest-grossing film in a year, mm-hmm. the highest-grossing film since the uh, emergence of the uh, unknown virus of unspecified origin a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, $1.4 is taking worldwide. It's pretty good. Some big numbers. And... Uh, very long-term viewers might remember, but Top Gun, I think, might have been the second or third film in the chain, I think.
0: Third, I think, yeah.
1: 2020. Uh, I think somehow we is a step from the final countdown to Top Gun or something like the, that. Um,
0: yeah, it was Streets of Fire, Philadelphia Experiment, Final Countdown, then Top Gun, number four.
1: Mm. And I don't think I'd actually seen Top Gun before that. Um, and I remember being deeply powerfully underwhelmed by this film. Like it was like, I recall saying it was like a theory, series of music videos that were so sort of tacked together. It didn't seem to have a cohesive storyline to be like scene, hmm. scene, scene. And then, you know, very limited connective tissue. Yeah. Um, and I remember being flummoxed at why this film was held in such high regard by so many people. Hmm. Um, And then being even more flummoxed 25 years later, they're going to do a fucking sequel? Yeah, Why? This is why, because it takes 1.4 billion worldwide. Mm -hmm. Um, It has an 8.5 in IMDb audience score. Its meta score is 78. Um, And you know what? This film uh, is better than the original. Um, That is remarkable um you see a, a sequel made 30 years after the fact um is actually better than the original um so let's talk about the plot After 30 years maverick is still pushing the envelope as naval top naval aviator as a top naval aviator that must confront ghosts of his past when he leads top guns elite graduates on a mission that demands the ultimate sacrifice for those chosen to fly it uh, cast this time obviously we have Tom Cruise back as uh, Pete Maverick Mitchell he's joined by Academy Award winner Jennifer Connelly uh, Miles Teller as Bradley Rooster Bradshaw Val Kilmer in a cameo role John Hamm plays the evil you know, uh, uh, chief who doesn't want him to succeed um, and uh, those are probably the names you're gonna know the director this time is obviously not Tony Scott, because Tony Scott has been dead for 10 years. He's uh, Joseph Kaczynski, um, who directed another film we watched on the show uh, a while ago, Only the Brave, the firefighting film starring Josh Brolin. He also directed Oblivion, which starred um, uh, Tom Cruise. Unfortunately for everyone, he also directed Spiderhead, the Chris Hemsworth film on Netflix, which is really not good at all. Um So the essential plot, we meet uh, Pete Maverick Mitchell. He's a test pilot now. Uh, He defies a a general played by Ed Harris, a brief cameo, and uh, flies an experimental plane uh, to try and prove that it's capable of going at Mach 10 um, and fulfill a contract to keep that um, airplane project going. The uh, consequence of that is for him to be basically shifted back to uh, a job at the Top Gun Academy. This has been uh, as a result of uh, Iceman uh, Val Kilmer putting a good word for him and uh, ensuring he doesn't get completely grounded and discharged or whatever it is that happens to fucking naval pilots. I don't know. Um, The idea being that he is one of the few uh, aviators or people in the Navy who actually has... Confirmed air-to-air kills and air-to-air combat experience. Um, There is a mission coming up to bomb a uranium generator in an unnamed country, which we uh, certainly isn't Russia, isn't China, certainly isn't a Middle Eastern country. Um, And it's a very difficult mission. The parameters are very unusual, uh, and they need um, Maverick to uh, come in and uh, train, as it sort of notes there. Uh, these elite graduates, put them together as a team and train them in a way that's going uh, allow them to actually complete this mission. Complicating factor is uh, the addition into the team of Miles Teller's Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, sure, I think it is. Um, he is a, the son of Goose, the character played by Anthony Edwards, I think it was, in the original film in the 80s. Uh, for those who are uninitiated and don't remember what happened in that film, Goose dies at the end. So, spoiler alert for a fucking 40-year-old film. Um, so, Goose dies at the end. Great uh, Miles Teller plays his son. And there's insinuated that there is some, some friction there between the two of them. We find out later that uh, Tom Cruise attempted to – or got his application to the Naval Academy pool. And they don't get along. So, he the tension fact that Bradley doesn't like uh, Tom doesn't like Maverick um, and he has they have to work together. Additionally we have a a romance or a I guess a tale a pre-existing relationship between uh, Pete and uh, Jennifer Connelly's character Penny Benjamin. She owns a bar where Top Gun Academy is they've got some sort of history uh, which is hinted at uh, and there's a very soft and average B story about them rekindling their previous romantic relationship. Um, the uh, head of Top Gun Academy, uh, Admiral Cyclone Simpson, played by John Hamm, he's not a fan of P. Mitchell, doesn't want him there. He's only there because uh, Admiral uh, Kazansky, Iceman, has uh, put in a good word for him. All of this and the ensuing mission. Uh, Playing to a, a standard sort of scenes of people flying uh, fighter jets and bombing various things. Um, and it looks really good. I'll give it that much. The photography is outstanding. Mm-hmm. The uh, special effects are fantastic. Uh, I suspect I haven't looked into it, but there was significant cooperation from the U.S. military yet again. Mm-hmm. Um, people might, if you go way, way back to when we did that show on episode about, about 100 episodes ago, um, they set up um, recruiting booths outside yeah. the screenings of Top Guns back in the 80s to try and sign people up for the Navy, and I think it was pretty successful. Um, so it's not surprising that they let them back in to, like, there are so many shots of them taking off and landing on aircraft carriers. You know, not too many people have aircraft carriers available for you to shoot on, apart from the US military. So, Tom Cruise has access. Tom Cruise has one, I'm sure. The Church of Scientology is a couple of blocks away. I think they've got one out the back. Mm-hmm. I think um,
0: we've said, we've said Church of Scientology one too many times. So it, oh, yep. Our, our viewership has spiked to 5,000.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it looks good. The effects are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the acting is, you know, I mean, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene of him running, which, of course, there is. Contrast uh, the Uh I think the film is elevated by the presence of Miles Teller, frankly. Mm-hmm. I think he's actually, when he puts his mind to it, he's a very good actor, Miles Teller. I mean, mm-hmm. he's done some shit movies, <laughs> Fantastic Four. Um, but, uh, you know... Uh, he was in Divergent, I think, as well. Yeah.
0: But he was he's in, in uh, Only the Brave, which we watched.
1: It's not say This is directed by the same guy who directed mm. Only the Brave. Mm. Uh, War Dogs, that was a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the Spiderhead, same director, mm. piece of crap. Um, but uh, he's fantastic in the offer, which we talked about a couple mm-hmm. of months ago. And Whiplash, of course, he was mind-blowing at Whiplash. So yeah. I think Miles Teller is actually a very fine actor in the right role. And this is a good role for him, playing Goose, Goose's son, Rooster. And, you know, it, it's a nice connection to the previous film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a fairly easy to understand uh, reason for there to be tension between the two men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it gives the film something to sort of lean on. For mm. a good portion of the story and a resolution, because I mean, this film is anything but anything but you know unpredictable. It's incredibly predictable. Um, you know, their, in, in, their their later film resolution of their issues feels satisfying. Um, the rest of the cast who are you know young nobodies I've never heard of uh, all solid. John Hamm is you know he plays a, a really good you know oh you evil. Mm-hmm. Admiral U, who's trying, trying to get Maverick's way. Maverick gets results, damn it. Um, <laughs> so you know that's he's good in the role. He's he's, he's well suited for it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Jennifer Connelly doesn't get a lot to do, unfortunately, for such a talented actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but what she does do, you know, she brings her A game because she tries. She's always good quality. It's nice to see her get a little bit more of a meaty role in future. Mm. Um, but I Thought it was fine It was like I said I would not put the original as fine I put the original was terrible mm. This is entertaining You know what it felt like? It felt like a Nike's action film okay. It felt like a film like The Rock Or um, Demolition Man Something like, oh well, maybe not quite as Demolition Man at least had an interesting story Let's not go overboard here, come on you Know, like <laughs> something a Michael Bay directed in the 90s, you know, like Con Air or yeah. Armageddon or something yeah. like that, or Face Off with you know, without the John Wooisms, yeah. Um, you know, like it was big, loud, stupid, and kind of fun in parts. I mean, it would probably overstayed welcome a little bit of two hours and 10 minutes. You've got to cut Ooh. 15 minutes or so out of it, I think. It didn't need the full two-hour, 10-minute run time. Mm. Um, some parts of it kind of felt like they'd just been put in there because, you know, it um, is a throwback to the original, fan mm. service, if you will. So there's the famous volleyball scene in the original. In this one, they play a game of touch football on the beach. Uh, and there's even a scene where John Hamm comes and goes, aren't you training to be fighter pilots? Why are you doing this? And I'm like, this is an excellent point, John Hamm. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) Thank you, voice of reason.
1: Um, So it could definitely have been cut back a little bit. Uh, It's not quite as tight as those Bruckheimer action films in the 90s were. It's also probably not as funny, if you know what I mean. Like there would be, I don't know, I didn't, there are some supposed to be some lighthearted moments in here, but I didn't find them lighthearted. Um, and also, you know, it's got the Tom Cruise element and the fact that it just doesn't look like he's really old. Like, I don't know. Are there 60 year old fighter pilots? I don't know. I don't think there are. Um, so that, that is a slight, you know, little, i mean, very, very picky here in the sense that it's perfectly cromulent. Um, it's certainly more entertaining than anything Marvel's shit out recently. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was a, for me, it was a nice throwback to that feel. You used to have of, you know, a, a 90s action film where you were just in there entertained for you know 90, 100 minutes. Some big explosions. The bad guy's bad. You know, the good guys win at the end. There's some interesting stuff happens, you know, interesting action scenes. Are, you know, the characters, are, relationships are understandable. They're not overly complex. The mm. film's not hand-fisting, you know, um, a political message or a diversity message in there necessarily. So, I mean, that, that may be a criticism of the film. I don't know how many of female fighter pilots there are in the real world. There's only one in here. Mm. Um, it, it didn't feel any of that kind of thing that you see so often in, in other films these days. It's, it's just there to have a good time and, and get off a screen. It could have got off a screen faster um, if it could have done it without Tom Cruise, that probably would have been preferable as well. Um, but is it a one point four? Well, look, it's made one point four billion. I mean, is it the sixty fifth best film of all time, which it is in top IMDb uh, two fifty? No, no, no. Is it an eight point five movie? It's a seven seven point five movie for me. Yeah, but um, people have a real strong attachment to. These uh these uh, these films, they love Top Gun, and so mm-hmm. um, they have such an entertaining film and attached to a you know a, a property they love. There um, we go. Yeah. I it, it, I would be very very unsurprised to see a third one.
0: Mm-hmm. Or they try and merge. They go, all right, you know what? We've gar- We've we've confirmed that Top Gun is a bankable name. What if? They use that as a launching point for video game adaptation of the classic Afterburner, uh,
1: Top Gun Afterburner. Oh, I think you're going to be a, a bit of a crossover. I think you're like, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Top Gun, Beverly Hills, Cop, Maverick.
0: Oh, no, uh, oh,
1: did Beverly Hills, Top Gun. You, you know that they're I doing did. Beverly Hills, Cop 4, right? I do. Eddie Murphy joins the Navy. I don't want them to make all these movies. Crocodile <laughs> Dundee, Maverick. <laughs>
0: Crocodile Dundee in space is what I want. Thank you, sir.
1: They were going to do a cross-service Crocodile Dundee at Beverly Hills thing at one point in time. Yeah,
0: I remember so, that. Yeah,
1: I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> yeah, going go to the school. Why, the should you go and see Maverick? If this is on for free, mm-hmm. you're on a streaming service somewhere, mm-hmm. check it out. I think it's on video on demand. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go out of my Look, it's... It, it was. I, I really don't want to sound like I'm being too negative. I kind of enjoyed parts of it. Uh, like I said it was too long, but you know, it was a lot better than I thought it would be when I got announced. I mean, long-term viewers don't know how skeptical I was about this. Thing. Yes, it's actually, you know, they landed. They stuck the landing pretty good. Okay. Well, the, there you go.
0: I mean, success is in results, I suppose. So, yeah, they've got 1.4 billion. Positive results. Sure.
1: Now, <laughs> yeah. I think I'm interested. Speaking of blockbusters, you've got a chance to see Thor, right? The new Thor film. I did, yeah. That's a film. It certainly had scenes that were shot, and yeah. I believe there was cinematography involved. Yes. People wrote music and scored the film, mm-hmm. and then it was projected on the screens around the world, hence, yes. classifying this as a film. As a, and, and the
0: length of it was definitely a feature film, you know, but um, wow, they um, i don't know what happened with this movie. It's an hour and 58 minutes, so it's certainly not the worst offender for, uh, for length of time, but it doesn't really do anything of any particular use or value with that time. As you said, in your thoughts on Love and Thunder, Christian Bale is great. And he persistently feels like he's in a different movie because of this ongoing lame joke about the ex versus the current girlfriend humour of Mounir versus Stormbreaker, as well as um, Jane Foster coming in. And... I appreciate the story that they're trying to tell with Jane Foster having cancer and dying and but at the same time why is Mjolnir making it worse? Really? They, they, yeah, it, it doesn't make much sense. Um and if it's purely for story of her choosing to live her best life it's like okay well her being a world-renowned, noted, scientific genius of the modern age of Earth. Nah, fuck it. I want to swing a hammer around for the last six months of my life. Okay. Sure. I mean, I can, I can
1: understand that. That's a choice I would probably make.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, the screaming goats were just annoying. Um, it... I I don't know. And the, yeah. Korg being used far too much. He was fun for little pockets during Ragnarok. And that was the extent. He's not a leading character thing. And they use him just too much. And they really sideline Valkyrie, considering the character growth that she had um, becoming the new leader of that new leader of new asgard but then it's like oh so she hasn't actually moved on she's still just using alcohol to escape her problems and not really face them and do anything and that's not the point of this movie so okay move on please ladies and gentlemen
1: um what <laughs> the guy thought the guardians of the galaxy stuff was pretty disappointing
0: yeah yeah um again it it was trying to play it for fun and for comedy but it just didn't it felt bored like not boring but it felt like everything about it every character in those sequences was just bored okay that doesn't usually make for compelling or interesting or fun or entertaining television or movies so, what exactly are you trying to do here? It just it it felt like a director being bored, and
1: it felt like he was like he's half of his mind in this and half of his mind on the sixteen different other projects he's got on the go Yeah,
0: yeah, because there wasn't any of his kind of like Taika Waititi has proven himself a very strong director and a particularly good hand at balancing serious things with comedy. And there was none of that with this. And the immaturity of Thor, it, it just kind of took him back to where he was before Ragnarok. And it's like, okay, I really don't know what you're doing with Thor. And I don't know what you're doing. This this to its credit, this movie felt like a standalone movie, the first standalone movie we've had for a long time in the MCU. But it also felt like a, the first genuinely pointless movie because it didn't really progress anything or anyone in genuine ways. It introduced the character of love by the end of it, if that's what they're going to go with, love and thunder. Um... And yeah, maybe, maybe they try and maybe they're going to try and make Thor and love or his adopted daughter, whatever they actually call her in the thing, into like a healthy re- father-daughter relationship as, as a mirror, as an opposite of Thanos and Gamora. That could be interesting, but I don't know. don't really care. And that's the worst thing that a movie can do. It was boring. It felt bored, and it didn't care.
1: So, it's, it was. It was too much. Let's like, it's just do what we did last time, but turn it up to eleven this time.
0: Yeah, and I love Guns N' Roses classic songs. I genuinely do. And having one or two here or there, but having so much Guns N' Roses and so many Guns N' Roses references, like
1: quite why. And a kid naming himself after Axl Rose, and you're like, yeah, okay. I, I, don't,
0: I don't get the why. There's no logic as to why that is happening in the in the story. Like,
1: hmm, okay. It's it's weird. Um, when James Gunn does in Peacemaker. You know, like um, John Cena being into, like, you know, glam, hair metal bands from the 80s. Yeah. It's cool. It's interesting. It adds to his character. It tells yeah. us a little bit of something about him, mm-hmm. whereas it just feels gratuitous in, yeah. in Thor. It's like, hey, remember Guns N' Roses? They yeah. were cool. Remember when music was cool? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't just trash. Um, it just feels... It's, I feel very very weird saying this about DC because yeah how the turntables have turned mm-hmm. um, if uh, you know like DC is getting something right that Marvel's getting quite wrong here mm-hmm. um, but it was artificial instead so we've got a yeah. cool song played during a trailer in Marvel whereas like I said it's actually a character feature um, and things I like know James Gunn is a big fan of eighties metal as well yeah so. I Don't know, it just feels like something it's somehow that adds to the authenticity for me,
0: yeah. Uh, um, I absolutely agree with that. Um, for, for what they're doing, the way that they're, <clears throat> for, for lack of a better descriptor, progressing the character of Thor, uh, Chris Hemsworth continues to be good as Thor, he has got. He knows the the comedy timing that is required to deliver the Thor they want to present. Um, it was nice to see Natalie Portman back, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you've brought her back just to kill her. That's that's it. And it's like, that that's not actual, you that, that's not character development or anything like that. That's using someone as a tool, which that's, Eh, whatever, I, I don't care. If it's, a,
1: if it's a tool in this film, it's Russell Crowe. Oh God, <clears throat> what was with the accent? Remember, apparently they recorded two accent scenes with two different accents. And that's yeah. all the one they chose. Oh boy,
0: Russell Crowe has not ever proven himself to be particularly adept at accents.
1: No, he kind of had that weird, vague, uh, mid-Atlantic accent he did for his American films. Yeah. Um, He did a Southern accent in a film, and it wasn't Insider. I can't remember. Yeah,
0: that's right. And, of course, he did his English accent in Master and Commander. It was just very much talking like anyone pretending to be Prince Charles or King Charles now, you know, (laughs) like pop, pop, Mm. pop. Um, I don't know. It was It was messy. Was bored.
1: Different. It, it was disappointing. Was it really? Was that Ragnarok mm. sort of breathed new life into Thor? Yeah. And then seeing Marvel took that new life that that Tiger had given it and used it really well. I think in the subsequent films that he was in, mm-hmm. uh, named the um, Infinity Wars and Endgame, it was mm-hmm. really nicely set up. I you wonder who who was Tiger given those beats, or or did Taika create the beats and then mm-hmm. they uh, Russo said. Cool. Let's you know take mm. that and run with it. Um, yeah. But uh, and then to sort of fall back to oh uh, shit, let's just do the same thing again. I, I found it. Look, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. No, like it's. I, some people have said it's worse. It's worse in the dark world. I think that's maybe a stretch, but um, mm. it's it's probably on a par. It's 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 fallen back from it's such high, mm. high heights.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but um, you know it's it's on Disney Plus, so everyone's probably already subscribed. So if you didn't watch it at the theaters, you can watch it now.
1: It, it says something, that, like I have no desire to go back and watch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Zero. Mm. I have completely forgotten about it. I watched um those who, if you are interested. There's a YouTube channel called The Critical Drinker, who I steal as much material from as possible. Um, <laughs> he's very good, but he's also sometimes he, he steps in this line. Sometimes he's the guy talking about things of power going on about, you know representation and you know how men aren't treated nicely in, in film. And you're like, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. What's, your yeah, your videos, mate? Time he has a series called The Drinker Fixes, and is like he picks a film and goes given the rough elements of this film, the storyline, could you have made it better? And he did one on uh, Multiverse of Madness recently, and you sat and going, wow, that would have been a hundred times better than what they actually ended up doing. I mean, so Mm -hmm. much better. So if you're curious, I strongly recommend jumping over. If you're watching us on YouTube now, just, you know, after we finished, of course, um, (laughs) jump on over to the Drinker's channel and check out his, um, the Drinker Fixes Multiverse of Madness. It just made me think, they really are dropping the ball right now. We talk about it every week, so I won't go on and on and on. Yeah. But I have the same sort of thing here. I have no desire to go back and watch A Lot of Thunder again.
0: I'm trying to remember the last or the newest Marvel release movie that i watched more than once. And... Endgame? It was probably Endgame. Yeah, it was probably Endgame. That's so been a while. In a hot minute, um, I
1: haven't gone back to rewatch any other TV series either. <laughs> Why would you? yeah And not good anyway. We we have stuck the boots into Disney and Marvel mercilessly uh, this week, as we do every week, <laughs> and not just because it's cool. I think it's I think it's fair to say it's a generally held opinion.
0: Yeah. Now I want to just finish up with uh, just some early thoughts. On cyberpunk end runners, if that's okay, yes,
1: we talked earlier. You played a little bit of the game. How mm-hmm. What do you think of the show?
0: It's interesting, it's definitely lending from the sort of like 80s and 90s style of animation. Um, particularly, you know, anyone thinks cyberpunk, they're gonna generally think of something like Ghost in the Shell or Akira um which that kind of the the way of animation in that they are borrowing somewhat from but you also get more of the the cyber side of things compared to those ones and the updated stuff so if you saw any of the animatrix ones um there's more of that kind of feel to it obviously this is this is t- um 2d. And classic animated whereas the animatrix was a variety of different styles um, but this is um, an interesting I don't know if it's based off of some pre-existing stuff or if it's just using cyberpunk um, novel that was created as a launching point but this is cyberpunk End runners. street kid trying to survive in a technology and body modification obsessed city of the future Having everything to lose, he chooses to stay alive by becoming an edge runner, a mercenary outlaw, also known as a cyberpunk. This has got um, two names in it um, right now that I definitely know. One of them is Giancarlo Esposito. He plays the character of Faraday. And the other one is Matthew Mercer, um, Mr. Critical Role DM himself, plays Falco. other voices in there. I don't actually recognize any of them. Um, But there are 10 episodes so far. Season 1 has released in in its entirety, as is the traditional Netflix way. I am three episodes in now, I think it is. Let me just quickly look at that. Uh, Yeah, three episodes in. It's interesting. It's got enough of the style animation wise to keep me engaged visually um the story is still early as to what they're doing it is very much an adult orientated thing not so brazen with it we're going to be adults like the legend of vox machina was like you talked about where it was like oh yeah the um characters are having sex right in front of you and things there are little pockets of that like when they're going into their kind of virtual screens and stuff there'll be a pop-up screen of porn and things like that or um there's a shot where the main character he's walking down the street and you see just just off, off just on the very edge of the frame you see some guy just with like a cup put over his dick and it's very clearly some kind of virtual reality masturbation thing, and so there, there's there's definitely those notes of that, and then there's drug references and violence and all of that stuff, which is quintessential when you when most people think of cyberpunk themed stuff. Um, story itself is slowly unfolding. We're being introduced to some mildly interesting characters, if painting very much to the extremes of characters. I'm curious to see how it's going to continue on. The episodes are like 22, 23 minutes long. Um, So it's palatable as a, all right, I'll watch one or two and then I'll go to bed or whatever. And it's just offering something a little bit different compared to most anime that's, or animation that's out there, Western animation in particular, where so much of it is being based on fantasy stuff or slice of life kind of things. This is just something a little different. It's a little off, off center, which is refreshing. But so far, so good.
1: Glad to hear it. Mm. Um, this is interesting. And in now this video game, maybe that's where future is TV shows. Um, after we had the League of Legends TV show, which name mm-hmm. escapes me at this moment in time. Okay. But, um, I can't, I don't know if I mentioned it before. I did watch an episode or two of it. And um, shockingly, you are correct. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, which uh, had no business being considering it's based on a game. I had no interest in, Mm. but uh, maybe this is where the future lies for a bit. um, Yeah. Maybe turn into TV shows more because the films haven't worked out so well. Um,
0: Yeah. But we'll, we'll find out, I guess, because next year we've got the last of us, the TV show coming out, which I don't really see any point of considering how naughty dog create their games to be blockbusters, narrative driven stories feels like they've already told the story, so I don't know what else they're going to
1: really bring to this. But And they've got Fallout, the TV show as well, coming at some mm-hmm. point. If there's should. a
0: Bioshock TV show as well, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, say, eventually, I might be right. <laughs> sort of. One day, statistics will just tip. Just, <laughs> just I'll be like 75, I told you so 47 <laughs> years ago.
0: It's like the dying, dying breath. It's like,
1: just check the IMDB
0: page quickly for what's me. What's the
1: Rotten Tomatoes for the reboot of Assassin's Creed?
0: <laughs> no, don't, don't put that stuff out into the world. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about?
1: Yeah, I think that's it
0: for me There right, we go. We're wrapping up after a double bill of Trek Respective talking about rocky horror picture show we're going to be talking about james and the giant peach the animated version we talked the rings of power a little bit of she hulk and d23 news we talked about uh, top gun maverick thor love and thunder and finishing up with cyberpunk and uh, edge runners it was quite a good show for two hours and seven minutes
1: Back to our normal, the uh, scheduled length this week. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for watching. Thanks. If you uh, like what you see, like, share, subscribe, all that kind of good stuff,
0: mm-hmm. and buy my book, <laughs> buy his book, Vaughn book on Amazon. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen. This has been sponsored by me and Vaughn, a Volition story saga, Volition saga story. There we go. I know my, I know the name
1: of my own book. Until next time. Good night.